0: So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians. We're going to continue in our Colossians series here. Coincidentally, Peter was supposed to preach today. Check it out. So Peter and I talked about this hospital thing at like 5 o'clock. So y'all are getting 5 o'clock sermon. <laughs> I started at 5. I ended at 9. I put four hours into it. Come on. Give me a break. Turn to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 through 9 together. If you don't have a Bible, there's some down the middle aisle. I would encourage you to take those, have it as your gift from us to you, and we'll be using it during our sermon today. Colossians 2, verses 8 through, did I say 8 through 9? I meant 8 through 10. Let's read this together. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. And not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word today, and we pray that you would open our eyes that we might see what you have intended for us, both in context and how it would apply for us as 21st century Christians. Lord, we pray that you'd open our ears and that we would hear something fresh from this passage of Scripture that you make sense of it to us, that we might be able to apply it to our lives and immediately grow closer to you by it. God, we thank you for the gospel. We pray that we would see um, in this passage, even today, though, though the word gospel doesn't appear here, that we would see the goodness of God through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and our place for our sin through this passage. We pray that in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. I'll start with this question for you. I mean, how many advertising messages do you think you see on a giving day? You ever thought about that? Advertisements, marketing. When you're getting in your car, driving along the highway, when you go to the the metro, park your car, going through the, the terminal there, getting on the metro, getting off, riding about, doing all the things that you do, going to a restaurant, how many advertising messages? could we possibly see in any given day? Um, I would gather that most of us see upwards of 50, 100, possibly even more than 200, and that's probably a conservative, a conservative estimate. The purpose of marketing, of course, is to, to catch our attention, to show us products that uh, an entrepreneur, a business person, wants us to buy. That's why we, we see all the advertising behind that. And in that, that's, that's not bad. And so through billboards, television, print media, radio, websites, I mean, what other ways do you see people promoting things that they think might help you, that they're trying to sell to you? They're All these things that are trying to catch our attention. And so what are our advertisers trying to do? Firstly, they're trying to sell their product. But more than that, they're trying to get us to buy and use their product through a number of means. But what I would tell you, underlying the subliminal message of marketing is this implication that we are incomplete in some way unless we take what's been offered. That really is the the subtle implication behind marketing, that what's been offered is good for us, but not only that, we're incomplete unless we partake of it, And it would be a mistake for any of us to think that this isn't the intended message behind here. We should believe that the, the message of advertising is not neutral. It, it has a purpose in it, and that purpose is to get us to buy their product. It doesn't necessarily have our best interest in mind. Every day we're tempted to base our opinion of our lives on something other than the Bible and the gospel of Jesus and him crucified. And that really is the, the scary thing behind all of the advertisements and the marketing that we're exposed to. And for many of us, this leads us to distraction. We get off the path that God would have for us in life by how we're bombarded with messages, all suggesting that we do this, buy this, you'll be incomplete unless you submit yourself to what I have to offer for you. So we're in the series, uh, series in the book of Colossians. And two weeks ago, we learned that we can get deluded by plausible arguments. A plausible argument is uh, an argument of, of someone telling us something or offering us something that they believe will help us. And oftentimes, it doesn't sound outlandish. It, it has a s- slight nuance in it that maybe only... Um, kind of, sort of, doesn't sound like what we already believe. It it sounds plausible. It sounds like we could actually believe it. And this, uh, I would tell you, plausible arguments leads to deception. We can get thrown off track, distracted by people bringing to us false, uh, plausible arguments. Last week, Paul reminded us that the journey that we're on as Christians is is a faith walk, it's, it's a journey that we're going from point A to point B, and he likened it to a walk. And we learned that that walk goes best when it's rooted in Jesus, like a plant that's that, uh, a seed that's put in the ground. It's germinated, it's nourished. And as it goes deep, finding nourishment, it's able to push that plant up. So Paul, so Paul says, you're rooted in Jesus, you're built up in Jesus, and you're established in the faith. And so what he'll do today is really continue this idea of walking in Jesus. And so we should see what we're going to read today in these, uh, these three verses here, 8 through 10, as Paul continuing this idea, this exhortation of walking in Christ. But he warns us that the journey is it's not always going to be easy. It'll have trouble and challenges along the way. And I've got two points for you today, and the first point is simply that we should walk with, with vigilance, that we should walk with vigilance. That's what Paul's telling us. It's not enough to walk merely along the way. When I think of uh, this idea of walking with vigilance, I firstly think of one of my favorite musicals. I guess it's a musical, The, the Wizard of Oz. Actually, my favorite version is The Wiz. You know, remember Michael Jackson when he was black? And, and Dorothy... Uh, played by uh, Diana Ross. You had Nipsey Russell as a Tin Man. I mean, they had a, it was an all-star cast. You had the, the the glamorous Lena Horne as the the Good Witch. I don't remember who the Wicked Witch of the West was, but I mean, all in just this, the drama of the story of the Wizard of Oz, and you know, Dorothy finds herself um, not in Kansas, but in in this strange world, and. Uh, to to get back home, she has to follow the yellow brick road. Ease on down, ease on down the road, right? Okay, that's well, that's the version I like. So, um, but little does she know that it's it's not just the the journey. It's not just as easy as easing on down the road. Follow the yellow brick road. The journey has lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! Right? I'm mix. I'm actually mixing the. <laughs> I'm mixing the two. Uh, the the two. Um, versions, but y'all, y'all are following me. I, y- you're, you're, you're following me. And so Paul knows that enemies of God are not content to let us alone. And Dorothy didn't know this, but there were enemies along the route there that were intending for her not to necessarily start her journey and just ease on down the road, this yellow brick road, to uh, to get to the, the, the wizard who was going to get her home. There were obstacles along the way. And so Satan doesn't stop his lies and his temptations just because we've turned our lives over to Jesus. In fact, most of you, many of you that have been walking with God for a little bit of time, knows that the journey can get harder once you come to faith. Before you're a Christian, the Bible tells us that we're already in Satan's grasp. He's the prince of the power of the air. We are born with indwelling sin, and we basically are living our lives for him. And then when 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 God saves us through the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, we have we have got spirit in us. We're living for a new purpose. But Satan doesn't leave us alone. In fact, he has more impotence to put obstacles in our way. And so we have to walk with with vigilance. And so the Colossian church faces a threat from false teachers who have influenced them to add on to or change the gospel that they once believed. And so Paul issues a warning to the Colossians, and he writes in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. I'll stop there. So the first thing that Paul does is command the Colossians to to walk vigilantly. He knows that they're already being barred by messages, by plausible arguments that are going to throw them off track. And he says, you got to be more discerning, discerning from the sense of don't, don't uh, think that your road is not going to be um, as easy a, as it is. There's going to be things on the journey that are going to throw you off the track. And so you have to look out. You got to keep your eyes open. Make sure that you are um, aware of what's coming up. Paul uses strong language here. He's, the, the, the wording is he's saying something like, look out, beware. Hey, keep your eyes open. Don't don't um, lollygag is how my grandma would say it. Don't lollygag through life assuming that everything's going to be hunky-dory. Paul's exhorting them to have a discerning eye. And I think the weight of his warning is compounded by the words that he uses next. He says, he says don't be taken captive. That's a military term. It's, it's likening two military forces coming together in in combat, one dominating the other and uh, taking prisoners from the battle that's been won. But Paul is talking in this way. He says the enemy that that he has in mind is not just two warring nations, it's actually philosophy. Philosophy and empty deceit. So Paul's concern is not necessarily philosophy itself. So those of you that are philosophy majors here, don't don't get nervous. I'm not saying that philosophy, he's not saying that philosophy is bad. Uh, Actually, philosophy tells us a lot. Philosophy helps us uh, in terms of our thinking, our reasoning, how we make order to the world that we're in. Philosophy here is not the the enemy. Rather, he says that the enemy is uh, a philosophy that has empty deceit. Actually, in the Greek, there's an article there, an article, the, a, it's, it's the philosophy. And so Paul is calling out, you know, we, I've been mentioning all this time that Paul's had these false, that the false teachers have come into the, the city of Colossae and given the, the church there a message that wasn't the full gospel. They were trying to tell them, you've got to do other stuff to, to actually grow as a Christian. And so Paul is is finally unfolding. He's coming to the part in his letter where he's unfolding what these false teachers were were promising, were promoting. And he calls it the philosophy. And so here's what the philosophy was. It was it was it was hot air. He's saying they're blowing smoke. They're just they're promising to give you something, but they aren't going to be able to deliver. He's saying it's deceitful over against the word of truth, the word of the truth that he uh, that he used those words he used in uh, chapter one verse five. It's empty over against the riches of glory of the mystery of the of Christ in you the hope of glory that he used in chapter two, and verse uh, chapter one and verse twenty seven. And so Paul's reason for providing this warning is clear. Anything that's not based on Jesus is both damaging, and it's dangerous for us. And then he continues. In verse 8, these messages are, are based according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And so Paul is, he's contrasting the philosophy, the philosophy uh, espoused by those false teachers that had come into to Colossae with the, uh, the tradition of the gospel that they had received from Epaphras. And he's warning them that there are many philosophies that are human in nature, but that really are just hot air. They're promising to give you something, to give you knowledge that you don't have, to make your life seem more full than it is right now, but it's, it's empty. It's not going to do what it promises to do. Whatever that origin of those empty philosophies, no matter how religious or spiritual they might sound, Paul's saying, it's going to end up tainting the preeminence of Jesus, if you believe it. And so Paul adds that the philosophies and deceit are according to elemental spirits. And we've seen these words before. Uh, Months ago, we started the book of Galatians, and Paul uses these same words, elemental spirits, which basically he's saying basic, the, the basic principles of pagan religion. Scholars differ greatly on exactly what um, what these elemental spirits actually mean. And there's two trains of thought. The first train of thought is simply this. The philosophies were rooted in fundamental principles of pagan religions. So it's like us taking one idea from, uh, from a religion and and using it to suggest that this is going to make you, make you a better person. And we do this all the time. We, we expose ourselves to this all the time. And I'm going to call out for you a couple of examples. The first would be, those of us that open our newspaper or go to a the, the web, uh, website and consult horoscopes. You know anybody that does that? Okay, horoscopes based on astrology looks at the, the order of the, the sun, the moon, the planets at a certain time and ascribes character to all of us based upon when we were born so that on any given day, based upon the astrology, of what the horoscopes are looking at and how the planets are aligned, and the sun and the moon, that uh, this is going to be my future. This is how this day is going to go for me. This is how my character is going to be, given um, my, my horoscope. I'm a Scorpio, what are you? Some of, us are expo- Some of us have been exposed and possibly even know what that's, know what that's all about. Another would be the use of psychics. Um, Larissa and I, uh, when we lived in in Fayetteville, we would travel along 421, I think it was, going uh, from North Carolina to Greensboro. And on one particular corner, as we got into uh, the the city where her mother lives, in Bassett, there's this house that had a sign for psychics. And every, every time we drove up there, we'd always pray, Lord, you know, tear it down. Just, you know, make that go away. Um, I don't know if it's still there or not. What, what do psychics do? It's divination, okay? It, they're consulting mediums to, again, read a poem or tell the future. Tell you about your life. And then, um, there, many of us are just whole superstitions. We, we, we have superstitions about animals walking in front of us, or the colors that we can or cannot wear, um, you know, superstitions that, that um, match all range of things that we can or cannot do, and we order our lives by them. So those are common examples of, of, of basic principles from pagan religions that we adopt and make our own, and we even bring them into the church. And so things like these, it's no wonder that Paul was so adamant that he was using such strong language with the Colossians, telling them to be vigilant in their walk, to not expose themselves to these kinds of things because it would distract them. It would get them off track from how they were supposed to be as Christians, how they were supposed to walk in the faith under the gospel. The second thing that this elemental spirit hints to is that there's demonic activity behind uh, behind the elemental principles. And you all know what demonic activity is. That means that, that Satan is using all of these ways, horoscopes, um, psychics, and our own superstitions to, to sway us in a very spiritual way. And so the application of this would be that Paul is calling the, the, the Colossians to to ongoing vigilance. He wants us to be discerning about our walk with Jesus. Life gets hard, we have doubts, and anytime doubts come into our life immediately, um, we're more susceptible to things that come about than we are when you know when we're sure. Have you ever had doubts about life and how it's supposed to go and you turn to something that you shouldn't have turned to to comfort you or to Uh, to help you cope with the life that you're living. Another thing is we don't always see, you know, Paul says that our walk is supposed to be rooted in Jesus. And the the thing about a plant growing is all the, the foundational stuff is happening below the surface. And so we don't always see what's going on in terms of our sanctification that God is doing at the very deepest level of our lives. And because we can't see it, we get distracted. And we bring other things into our lives when life gets hard. We believe false teaching. And so there's any number of philosophies that promise us life in this world, but leave us locked out of the the goodness of the fellowship of relationship with Jesus. And one of the most pervasive philosophies of life that dominates the American culture is individualism. Ever heard of that? Individualism. Individualism says that you or I can exist in life on our own, by ourselves. I don't need anybody to help me. Individualism tells us that we are sufficient in and of ourselves. We don't need others to be healthy, to be fulfilled in life. Individualism tells us that life can and should be lived without the interference of other people. And we buy into that philosophy because it fits into really our prideful view of life. And if you think about it, all of us in some way have this individualism about ourselves because we're American, and this, this really is in the American culture. And so again and again, the, the sad thing is we see people who are lonely and hurting, and yet they buy into this idea of, I don't want anybody bothering me, telling me what they do. I'm my own person. I can succeed on my own without your interference. And we bring those ideas into the church. A few other philosophies and empty deceit that tempt us and impact the church are, are, are these. These are just a few examples. The first is relativism. You ever heard of that? Relativism. It says that there are no absolutes. So uh, there's knowledge, uh, truth, morality. They're all relative only in relation to what can be seen or experienced in culture, society, or historical content. Which would count a religious faith and belief in God out of the equation. Because I can't quantify, I can't qualify uh, a religious faith. Another would be pluralism. Pluralism says, your God's okay, my God's okay, why can't we all get together and, and live happily ever after? Pluralism says, there's not one sole and exclusive source of truth. There are many truths. There's many ways that we can get to God. And so we shouldn't, we shouldn't count anybody else's belief out. And then the last example would be rationalism. And Rationalism says, Reason is the ultimate authority over our actions and our opinions. And the way this works out for, for those who, who adhere, who live life by this philosophy, is, is simply that they say reason and knowledge trump religious belief and religious experience. And so the, the, the bad part about all these philosophies that really are empty to see is that they, they don't get us closer to God. They don't get us closer to Jesus because all of them base the the premise of all of them is based apart from life in Jesus. And if you lend yourself to believe. An empty philosophy that is blowing hot air and gets you nowhere, then what you end up with is you're taken captive. And that really is what Paul is saying. Guard yourself. Don't don't give in. To an empty philosophy that is going to deceive you, because it will take you captive, and you will have nothing to to help you in the end. And so, if you are one that lends yourself to any of these philosophies, or possibly even opens the newspaper and looks at horoscopes, that you've consulted a psychic, that you have superstitions in your life, I mean, what do I do with all those? I mean, the answer is simply: we confess our sin and we repent, and 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 God forgives you. So the first point is that that Paul is saying is that we need to walk with vigilance. Life gets hard. And there are many ways that we can get off track in this walk that we are on in Jesus. And so be vigilant. The second point is, is simply this, that we should always look to Jesus. We should always look to Jesus. And here's why. We're to look to Jesus because of who He is. We don't see this uh, this actual sub point that I'm giving you in the text. I'm going to bring us back to what we've already gone over in Colossians to remind you. I think it's an important thing that Paul is saying within the whole letter. Before we look at uh, verses nine and ten, and so in Colossians one, chapter three, Paul. This is what this is who Paul describes Jesus as. He says, "We always thank God the Father." of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. You ever, you ever notice how Paul addresses Jesus? Oftentimes, he says, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and when he's not saying that, he'll say, Christ, the Christ. And so Paul is, is constantly bringing the disciples, through all of his letters, but particularly here, he's constantly bringing us back to Jesus. He's saying, when life gets you off track, come back to Jesus, when you have people that are giving you plausible arguments that you can't discern if they're right or not, he says, come back to Jesus. What have you learned about Jesus? What have you known about Jesus? What have you experienced about Jesus? He brings them always back to alignment with who Jesus is and what he's done in their life. And so Paul wants to emphasize to the Colossians who it is they've placed their trust in. And we need to be reminded of that, too. I mean, who when you get off track, when life distracts you and you're you feel vulnerable to all the things that are going on in life. What do do you do? Paul is saying, know who you believed. Come back to Jesus. Look at him. Jesus Christ, the Lord. Jesus is not just another philosopher among many. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a miracle worker. He's much more. He's much more important. He's, he has much more authority. He, he, he's all those things that Paul tells us about in chapter one in regards to him being the supreme authority in the cosmos. He's preeminent, the creator and standard of the world. And so we look to Jesus because, firstly, he's the promised Messiah. You know, in the Old Testament, from Genesis 315, after the fall of Adam and Eve, God promised that he would bring one who would crush Satan's head. And so we see the plan of redemption flowing in the Old Testament all the way through uh, the building of the nation of Israel, their eventual exile because of disobedience into the New Testament, where Jesus is incarnated as a man. And all the prophecies that are seen in the Old Testament come to fruition in Jesus. And it's revealed that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah, we look to Jesus not just as the fulfilled promise of God, the Messiah, but as God's presence with us in the world. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 714. that one would come, that the, the virgin okay, would have a child, and his name would be Emmanuel. And then when we turn in the New Testament to, to Matthew's Gospel, we see Joseph and Mary visited by an angel. And they, they, the angel tells a story that this young virgin girl is going to be impregnated by God himself, by the Holy Spirit. And she's going to have a child. This is the fulfillment of everything that Isaiah prophesied in his, in his book. And then they say this guy's, the, the, the baby's name is going to be Jesus. And so what, is, what do Mary and Joseph name the baby? They name him Jesus. What does Jesus mean? It means the Lord saves, Yahweh saves. And so we look to Jesus because he's the one who saves us. He saves us by coming in our flesh, in our time, to be amongst us, to rescue us from those things in our lives that we can't rescue ourselves from. And then I would thirdly say we look to Jesus because he's not just human, he's also divine. And this is. This is the thing that Paul is saying. He is, he's Lord. What does, what does Lord mean? For those of you that are Downton Abbey fans, Lord, Lord Grantham, you get this idea. He's royal. He's, he's a ruler. He's, he's majestic. Don't pretend like you don't watch Downton Abbey. Aren't you, aren't you mad it's not on TV anymore? We We have to wait a whole year for it to come back on. He's a ruler. He's master. And he's treated as such. I'm talking about Jesus, not Lord Grantham. Y'all get back with me. And so this draws us back to all that Paul had proclaimed about the supremacy of Christ. And so I would tell you this, if we reduce Jesus to anything less in our hearts and minds than Lord Jesus Christ, then we're living our lives on something other than, than the gospel. And so we must always look to Jesus. First, we look to him. Because of who he is. That's what I've just been telling you. But secondly, I would tell you, we look to Jesus because of what, he's, what we've received in him. This is what verse 9 and 10 are telling us. And so in verse 9 and 10, it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul is, is doing something um, interesting in verse 9 and 10. He's reminding the Colossians, once again, who, who Jesus is. And, and I think the, the message for us here is, you know, we constantly forget, okay? We forget because we're, we're sinful. We forget because we want to forget. We forget because life gets hard. We forget that, that God, underneath the surface of our life, is building a foundation that's, that's, that's rooting itself in the gospel. And, and only after it's rooted can it bust through the ground and, and build up, establishing us in faith. We forget that. And so he constantly reminds us who Jesus is, and he's doing this in this passage. And he's echoing the language of chapter 1. I don't know if you, you, you realize that. I'm not going to show these on the screen, but in, 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 verse, uh, in chapter 2, verse 9, he's echoing what he already said in, in, in chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 19. And that verse says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The only word that he leaves out in 2-9 in is the word bodily, referring to his incarnation. And then in, and in verse 10, Paul speaking of the rule and authority of Jesus, which is the same message that he gives us in chapter 1, verse 19, for chapter 1, verse 18. He says there, and he is the head of the, the body of the church. He's the beginning the firstborn from, from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so I don't think Paul is, is merely repeating himself because he doesn't have other words to use. I think he's, he's helping this, this church out. He's reminding them, come back to Jesus. Remember your relationship in him. He's the one that you trusted in. But also remember that he, he, is, he is preeminent. Don't get your eyes off of him. He's emphasizing to the Colossians that Jesus is the source of, of their life. It's in him that you'll receive all that you need. And those words are important. It's in Jesus that you'll receive all that you need, not in any external rules or spirituality or adhering to the pressure of someone presenting, marketing, advertising to you something that might make you feel good or seem good for a few minutes, but then it's just a. a, a, a wave of hot air blowing over you. And so in verse 9, Paul is telling us what we've experienced in Jesus. When we when we've experienced Jesus, we've experienced God in the flesh. That's what he's saying. The word bodily, again, refers to the incarnation. But I think what Paul is suggesting here is when we've experienced Jesus, not only in his incarnation, but also in his glorification, we have experienced the God who has come from eternity and, and tabernacled amongst us to make himself known to us. He's God in flesh. And in verse 10, Paul is emphasizing this idea of of, of union with with Christ, and I think in every sermon in this, I and mean, we're on like number ten or so, we we've had these these two words in Him, where Paul where Paul has constantly bringing us back to uh, an understanding of our life is in Jesus. If you are a Christian, if you've trusted in the the perfect life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the God-man, Jesus Christ, then you're in him. And this gives you uh, a special relationship with Jesus. F.F. Bruce, theologian, scholar, wrote a commentary, says this. He says, Christians, by their union with Jesus, have participated in his life. If the fullness of deity resided in him, his fullness was imparted to you. What he means by that is there's this neat intermingling of our lives with Jesus, when we put our faith in him. Scripture sort of puts it like this. In Jesus' death, we've died. We've died to sin. In Jesus' resurrection, he rose to newness of life, never to die again. We are given life in his resurrection, and our resurrection is a latent resurrection. It's delayed. We have been resurrected, given life by the Spirit, but our the resurrection of our body won't happen until the second coming of Christ when he comes again with a new heaven and new earth. We're in union with Jesus. We participate in his life. And, and not just in, in that, but all the benefits of, of Christ are given to us because we're in union with him. John 1, uh, John 1 verse 16, uh, puts this, this idea like this. It says, For from his fullness, from Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And that's that sounds good to me. What's it? What's grace? It's all those things that I that it's a benefit from God. It's his favor. It's it's his satisfaction. It's it's God giving me what I don't deserve. But he gives it to me anyway because I'm in Jesus. Paul uses these these same words in several scripture verses that show us how this idea of, of being filled in, in him comes about. In Philippians 1.11, he says Christians are filled with the fruit of righteousness. In Romans 15.3, he said God fills us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope. In Romans 15.14, he says we will be filled with all knowledge. And then in Ephesians 5.18, he says we'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. We, we, we get the benefit of being filled in him, and the filling makes us like Jesus. I like what the, the, the other idea that comes out of this is this idea of completeness. And I want to show you two, two verses that, uh, that bring this about. In the New American Standard, in the New Living Translation, it uses the word "made complete. And so the idea behind this verse 10 is really we have been made complete because we're in, in Jesus. And so the New American Standard says, in him you've been made complete. The New Living Translation, some of you are, are using that, I think, says, so you also are complete through your union with Christ. And so let's put this together. You know, these false teachers were trying to convince the Colossians that, that the fullness, the growth, the spiritual maturity that they wanted to, to have was unattainable just by believing in the gospel that they had received, they're saying the gospel that you that you knew about it's not enough. you need more. you need to worship angels, you need to practice these rituals you need to believe you need to, to believe in um, uh, asceticism and stuff like that he's trying to distract they were trying to distract them from what paul the gospel that paul had had brought to them and Paul is responding here reminding them that everything they need to be complete, to be full or filled and fulfilled in Jesus is is actually in him. It's in Jesus and in Jesus alone. That's his message here. I'm going to conclude with a, a comment from a guy named Sam Storms. Sam Storms writes this. He says, we don't experience heresy or false teaching in quite the same way It's presented itself in the Colossian church, but there's still great relevance in Paul's words of warning for us today. We have to be diligent, constantly on guard, and ever alert to those deceitful and ultimately destructive philosophies and theologies that to the slightest degree draw us away from reliance on Jesus and his all-sufficient grace. Sam continues... Any idea or system of thought that would suggest Jesus is not preeminent and sovereign or that he's not infinitely and exclusively worthy of our absolute devotion is demonic at its core. Paul warns us even today, beware. Beware of any such philosophy. We're supposed to know Jesus. We should know the gospel so that you're able to identify and denounce false teaching when you hear it and then having been informed yourself you're able to deliver others from its destructive tr- uh, its destructive clutches as well that's good counsel let's pray father we are thankful for your word we we acknowledge That in our frailty, sometimes, Lord, we just uh, we're susceptible. We're uh, we hear things and believe it. We expose ourselves to what Paul calls here elemental spirits, basic principles that aren't based in the Bible. We believe things that we should not. We allow people to tickle our ears with advertising and marketing schemes and It's not that using products that people suggest to us is bad, but when they get us off track, when they distract us from what's important in life, then they become a threat to our relationship in Jesus. And so God, give us a discerning ear. Help us to heed Paul's warning, to keep our eyes open, to be watchful, to beware of philosophies and empty deceit. God, I pray that you would guard all of us here present from those things presently in our lives and those things in our environment that that pressure us to believe or conform to anything that that draws us away from Jesus and the gospel. Lord, help us to always look to Jesus. Constantly remind us of who he is. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.